So yeah, it's a hot one, hey? It's, uh, whoo, I, I don't do great in heat. We finally put an AC unit in our window yesterday that has been sitting in our garage for over a year. I don't know what we were thinking last summer, but we figured it out. We were afraid it would drop on someone's head, but we got some counsel, wise counsel. That's one of the ways you hear from God is through wise counsel. And uh, we saw a post that somebody had uh, recently put one up, so... That was a glorious blessing. Hey, I'm going to start off with prayers. Does that sound good? Yay. Jesus, we love you. We praise you that you are speaking, you have spoken, and you say that your sheep can hear your voice. And so we're here this morning. We want to hear your voice. We want to be encouraged. We want to be equipped. And we ask for your anointing to make this uh, whole morning uh, glorify you and uh, let your people be uh, built up to be able to feel that they can actually hear from you. And so I ask for your help, and we give it all, uh, all the glory to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, yeah, as Jeremy shared, uh, I sometimes get to teach this at different YWAM bases on hearing God's voice. I'm not currently uh, on staff with YWAM, but I was for several years, and um, so Four days, 12 hours of teachings. I had 160 slides that I trimmed down to 20, so we'll see if we can do this justice. But we are starting at a glorious time, so I've got lots of time. So uh, I'm going to try to just share some stories that build faith, and I'm going to dig into the scriptures about what God's word says about hearing his voice. You know, like 3,800 times in the Bible, we have references to God speaking. And, uh, and so he's still speaking today. And this is one of those topics that uh, when, you, when you grab a hold of it, it, it makes your heart come alive. Because, you know, if, if all you have is a relationship with a book, if all you have is sort of an academic, arid study of history, and you're like, hey, this is really good ethics, this has really given my life some purpose and meaning, but you don't have a vibrant relationship with a God who wants to communicate with you, like in real space and time, and he knows your name, and he knows your address, and he knows your, your needs and your heart cries, um, when that experience happens, there, there is nothing that compares to that. And so my first real experience with this was uh, like, gosh, 1998. What is that, 23 years ago or something? Mathematician, wasn't a math major, but I got it, I think. Um, so I went off to Youth with a Mission after uh, my college graduating from Western, and I uh, joined Youth with a Mission, and I did a discipleship training school in Northern Ireland. And so on the first day of our, uh, of our program, our, our leaders, our teachers, they said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to write down, uh, write a letter to God explaining what you're hoping to get out of this experience. And so I wrote a, a little letter. I still have it today in my journal. And I wrote a bunch of things. But one thing I wrote, uh, I said, God, I see people weeping during times of worship. And that looks refreshing. Now, that may sound weird to you to, for me to want to cry during worship or something. But um, when I was about 13 years old, I was experiencing some difficulty in our home. My mom uh, chose to turn to alcohol when she was frustrated with my dad and some other things going on in her life, and she got her anger out by drinking pretty heavily half the time. 
So it was, a, it was kind of a chaotic high school teen years in my life, in my world. And I remember thinking, if this is the way life is going to be for Jason Kelly, I need to get stoic. I need to get tough. I can't let, I'm going to be a basket case if, you know, if, if every day like this affects me. So I just kind of made an inner vow not to let myself be affected by really crazy things. And so from that point on, from about 13 to 23, 10 years, I hadn't wept. And here I am, I had seen people like over in the corner weeping, and I'd say, what's wrong with her? And they would say, oh, that's just the Holy Spirit touching her. And I'm like, huh, that's strange. I've never had a moment like that. And so I, I wrote this journal letter entry, and I said, God, I want to be able to weep. My heart is too hard. Soften my heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me tears for the lost, for those that don't know you. And so fast forward a few weeks, there was a guest speaker, and he was up preaching, and at the end of his message, he said, I'm going to go around and minister and pray over you, so if I put a hand on your shoulder, don't freak out. So there I am, lost in worship, and I'm just going for it, and this guy comes up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, I believe this is what the Lord would say to you. And I was like, dang, that's bold. He's going, like, what's God going to say? And then he goes into first person. And that's not the only way you can prophesy. You don't have to go first person. Certainly don't go King James, please. But he, um, he was like, he spoke for the Lord, and the Lord said, I am so very pleased with you. So, so very pleased with your passion and your zeal for me. And honestly, that shocked me because I thought the first thing God would say was, I saw what you did last night. I saw what you thought this morning. You know, I just had this guilty complex that I wasn't perfect before a holy God. And the first thing God communicates to me through this guy is so, so very pleased. It was just so tender. It was the heart of the Father. And then he goes, and I will let you weep, and you will weep for the lost. And I was like, shut the front door. <laughs> what? You just like verbatim quoted my journal. You're kind of freaking me out. Like, are you stalking me? What's happening? And so afterwards, I, I, I said, hey, that was spot on. Like, verbatim quote from my, my journal. Like, what's, what's up with that? And so we talked. And um, he said, you know, listening to your story, I, 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 I have this sense that you're going to weep for yourself first, and then you'll weep for your, the loss. Like, you know, if it's taking your heart a long time to harden, it might take some time to thaw, be patient with God. But, uh, yeah, so he gave that to me, and I was like, okay. So a few weeks later, a man is teaching us on hearing God's voice and gift of prophecy and that kind of thing. And he says, uh, he puts us back to back in this little activation exercise. We were blindfolded because the idea was we were going to ask the Lord for a picture, for a scripture, for an impression, for a phrase that had to be motivated by love, had to edify, comfort, strengthen, exhort, you know, but it, it wasn't going to just like expose them, embarrass them, point out their sin and tell them they were horrible. Something that would be uplifting and just see what God says, you know. But the idea of the blindfold was that we weren't going to base it on what we know about that person. Like, oh, I know about their grandma that just died. They probably want to hear this word of comfort or whatever. You know, it was just like, okay, what's the spirit saying? And so the guy behind me, he quotes, he goes, Ezekiel 36, 26. God is replacing your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Oh, no, I might need more. Oh, I got one. Um, so second prophetic word ever, and it was on the same theme of my hard heart getting softened. Now, I fast forward, I come home from my six-month DTS experience. I'm back in Bellingham. A Christian buddy of mine, he says to me, he says, Jason, while you were gone in Ireland, I, I had this crazy dream about you, and there wasn't really much plot. You were just um, sitting there in this chair, bawling your eyes out, sobbing uncontrollably, 
And he walks up to me and he says, is everything okay, Jason? And I turned to him with a smile on my face and tears streaming down. And I said, can't you see how good it feels to finally be able to do this? So I got goosebumps when he told me that. I'm getting goosebumps now every time. It's like, wow, never a more undeniable promise from God that I, he's going to do something in my heart. And um, so the crazy thing was, is that it would be another 10 more years before I would have my first weeping experience where I wept for myself. And I'll tell you about that in a second. I still haven't really entered into the weeping for the lost thing, which uh, I believe is coming. And so it's so crazy. Sometimes God really wants you to believe for something that he'll bring confirmation two, three times and make it undeniable. And yet... Sometimes we walk through and wait for the fulfillment of promises, and they don't always happen on our timetable, but we need those moments where we can look back and go, God spoke, I can't deny it, he's, he's, he's faithful to his word, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe him for what doesn't seem believable right now. Um, so Jeremy mentioned that you might have, you know, was that a pizza dream last night or a demon telling me something? Here's, here's a nice, uh, helpful way to kind of just to break down how you discern between hearing God's voice and the devil's voice. Because there's all kind of voices. You know, we have the world's voice, what the media is saying, what different influencers are saying on social media, what our parents are saying, what our peers are saying, what our own insecurities are saying. But there is reality to the fact that God speaks, and we as his followers can hear that. And so we want to have a little bit of a grid. So... You know, he's the prince of peace, so when he speaks, he calms us, whereas Satan causes us to obsess over things. Uh, he's, the, he's the comforter, so when he speaks, he comforts us, but the devil would have us to worry. You know, Jesus said, why do you worry? worry don't worry about anything. Um, when the devil comes, he brings condemnation, says things like, you're a worthless, hopeless hypocrite. You could never be loved by God. But, but Jesus is constantly bringing his mercy, and yes, he'll bring conviction, but that's different than condemnation. Conviction says, no, I shouldn't do that, I know, or ooh, I did that, and I know it was wrong, but it's specific. But when it's this vague sort of blanket of, you suck kind of a thing, that's not God. He doesn't talk like that. And, uh, you know, I just recently watched The Chosen recent uh, episode where Mary Magdalene kind of goes off, and uh, Jesus is restoring her. And I just reminded, so it just spoke to me of how good our God is and that he is not a God of condemnation. Um, he encourages, whereas the enemy discourages. He enlightens. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation, whereas the enemy comes to confuse us. And we know that God is not an author of confusion from the scripture. He, Jesus leads us, whereas the enemy pushes us. Jesus reassures us, whereas the devil gets us to get into fear. And uh, Jesus stills us, whereas the enemy is trying to rush us. So, you know, uh, yeah, um, those are helpful things to think about. Uh, God's voice affirms our identity, whereas Satan's voice attacks our identity. So Jesus says, baptism, heaven's open. The father bellows out loud and says, you are my son. With you, I am well pleased. And then he's led by the spirit into the desert and he's tempted by the devil. And what does the devil do over and over and over? The first thing he does is he gets him to question his identity. He attacks that, that affirmation from the Father, if you are the Son of God. 
then do this. If you got to prove it, you got to earn it, you got to perform to really be loved by the Father. But Jesus says, no, I don't take my cues from you. I take my, my cues from my Father. And he loves me. And he spoke that. And, and I can't deny that. And so um, I've had this experience a lot where the enemy comes and gets me to question that I belong, gets me to question that I'm his, that he loves me. Um, but that's what God wants to do. He wants to speak over us identity and destiny. And, and one time I was, um, I, for about four years, my family, we lived in Kansas City. We were at a ministry called the International House of Prayer, where they have uh, 24-7 worship and prayer that's been going on for over 21 years or something now. It's a crazy awesome place. Um, and anyway, they have these uh, prayer teams that are called prophetic teams, where they listen to what God's saying, and then they give words of encouragement to people. And so I brought a friend into those rooms. It wasn't even my appointment. I was just kind of there to observe because I wanted to hear how my visiting friends were going to be blessed and be able to dialogue with him about that. But this one guy looks at me and he goes, Jason, I just feel like your identity as a son and a shepherd are really key. You're going to need to like ground yourself in that identity uh, or you might miss some opportunities. And, and I, you know, he said, I don't think you're going to miss those opportunities, but God just wants you to plumb line yourself in that identity. So fast forward, a couple months later, uh, there was a Bible school class that's normally like a two-hour class at IHOP University, not pancakes, but prayer. Um, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit just showed up in a unique way. This is about 2009, and this girl testified up front to uh, getting delivered from experiencing some abuse in her past and the shame and condemnation she had from that. But she had an encounter with the love of the Father, and suddenly she was free from depression and suicidal thoughts and, and urges to do self-harm. And as she shared her testimony, like, people just started encountering the Holy Spirit, like, not in normal times. Like, it was like, this guy fell over and was shaking for 45 minutes. And when he got up, uh, he had 20-20 vision, didn't need his glasses, and he was free from depression. Or, or this person over here was laughing hysterically for 20 minutes, and then, you know, suddenly all of her back pain was gone and didn't have, you know, struggles with uh, eating disorder or whatever. So inner healing and physical healings were happening, and people were getting touched in physical ways. It was a little bit strange, to be honest, at times, um, and, and I'm not trying to glorify some weird manifestation. I'm just saying that there are experiences and times where God shows up. It's like sticking your finger in a light socket. You know, you're going to get electrocuted, and, and he might touch your physical frame. And, uh, and it humbles us because the guy flipping on the floor doesn't want to be doing that. It's, you know, broods humility. And the, and, the, and the one that wants to do that isn't getting that. And they're like, why not me? And, and it just helps them to be humble. But this went on for about 11 months where the leadership recognized that God was doing something in our midst. And so they, aside from the 24-7 worship and prayer, they had these six-hour meetings where we waited on the Holy Spirit and saw what he wanted to do. And they were like... 11 reams of notebooks where uh, testimonies from both live and from the web stream where people were physically getting healed through the, the services and, and getting touched in, in dramatic ways. So during that time, um, there, was a, there was an experience I had one night where I was having a hard time, and I won't go into it all for sake of time, but I was on these prayer lines, and I was having a hard time because I think my dad might have forgotten my birthday again, and 
forgot to call me, and I was feeling, woe is me. And I said, how about some of the Father's love? That was my prayer. That was my cry. Silently in my head, I said this. And just after I prayed that, this man walks up to me, puts his arm around my shoulder, says, you doing okay, Jason? And I, I said, well, this is weird. What? And then I thought, oh, I just prayed that prayer. And I asked for the Father's love. And here's this guy with white hair, 65-year-old man, total father figure, pursuing me, embracing me, calling me by name, asking me how I'm doing. And something broke when the reality of the father confirming my sonship, and I just broke down and I wept for the first time in 20 years, 10 years after that promise. And I snotted all over this guy's chest. And it was, he was like, something's going on with Jason, you know, like he knew me, but it was like, didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on, but it was glorious. And so after that, about 10 minutes later, I'm back on the prayer lines and I say, okay, God, Father's love. That was amazing. How about some of the joy of the Lord? And right after I prayed that prayer, now I know if you haven't heard of the International House of Prayer, it's like anything else that God's really using. There's going to be people who are really blessed by it. And then there's going to be naysayers and critics. And, and that's just part of the, the, the bit, you know, that uh, the devil likes to put a stigma on, on something like prayer that's really having impact. But anyway, this was not common even to the 11-month thing we experienced, like shaking and laughing. So, you know, maybe you've heard about this kind of thing in Toronto. There was a big move of the Spirit in 94, 95 or something. But anyway, I pray this prayer. God, how about some of the joy of the Lord? And this like 55-year-old Puerto Rican man on his knees next to me starts bleating like a sheep. <laughs> He's going, bah, bah, and like everybody in a 10-foot radius just busted a gut and got the joy of the Lord, like, bah, that guy is like a sheep, and I remembered this word about my identity as a son and a shepherd, and I thought, he just confirmed my sonship, now here's a sheep, maybe I'm supposed to pray for this sheep, so I put my hand on his back, and I started kind of like praying for him and stroking him like he's a little baby lamb, and his bleeding goes another octave, he's like, bah. I was like, this is so weird. Like, it was the weirdest experience. But then I had this thought about Peter when he gets reinstated. I hope this isn't too weird of a story for you. <laughs> Peter, when he gets reinstated by Jesus, and, and Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And um, Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Three times he says, sheep and lambs. So I was like, well, if this is you, God, how about one, you know, two more sheep tonight? So later that night, I'm praying for somebody, but I hear this kid, this 21-year-old YWAM kid, 30 feet away, and he is making what sounds to me like sheep noises. Turns out that's how he laughs, but to me, it was a sheep, and so I was like, oh my goodness, two for three, what's next? I never got another uh, sheep noise, but a guy walks up to me, and he says, can I pray for you? And I said, yes, and he goes, this is what the Lord says, you are such a good shepherd for the sheep, and I was like, oh, I was just crying again, and it was awesome. But that's what God wants to do. He wants to identify, he wants to confirm and affirm your identity as a beloved son and daughter. And he wants to call forth your true destiny and your calling and your assignment. And he will bring the confirmations you need. Because when the going gets tough and you think, oh, did I hear God? I don't know. You have these moments where you can remember, no, God really spoke. So I'm going to stay the course. So... You know, the devil comes, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And what is Jesus' reply? He says, um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the, word, from the mouth of God. 
And that word there for word is the word rhema, and it means in Greek utterance. So it's like this idea that God, not just the logos, the written word that we have, and and obviously he's quoting it, so that's a valuable thing. The most powerful way we can hear from God is getting that Bible open and hearing what God wants to say to us. But he also speaks to us in the moment. And that word that you hear from God is sustenance for your soul. It's nourishment. It will strengthen you. Remember in John 4 when Jesus is with the woman at the well and um, the boys had gone for lunch and they come back and they're like, dude, are you hungry? He's like, I have food you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And so it is really uh, a meal when you hear from God. And so... um, And Jesus said things like, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So do you call yourself a Christ follower here this morning? Maybe you're here and you don't, and today's a great day to sign up for the adventure of hearing God and following him and obeying him um, and being in a dynamic, eternal relationship that will never end for all eternity. (laughs) This is glorious. So I invite you today to do that. But if if you're here and you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, then that means this metaphor, I mean, sheep are kind of dumb, so I don't know. Don't break it down too much. But we're all sheep, and he's our shepherd. He's our good shepherd. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, and we can hear his voice. Look at what it's, it, Jesus talked a lot in John 13 through 17 about the Holy Spirit and the role he plays to speak to us the things from God. And so if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you have access to what God's trying to communicate. It says it another way in 1 John 2, 27, the anointing you've received from him abides in you, Holy Spirit, and you don't need anyone to teach you, but that same anointing teaches you concerning all things. Like literally all things. Like God is the genius of every subject you could think of, right? So I have a friend, Anthony, uh, he... uh, he had a minivan and a big family, and the, and the van broke down. And he didn't have the money to, to replace it or to fix it. He'd taken to three mechanics. None of the mechanics knew what was wrong. So he goes to bed that night, and he goes, God, I really need to know what's wrong with my van and how to fix it. Please speak to me. And he has a dream that night. And in the dream, the hood of the car is up, and Jesus is looking under the hood. And then he reaches under the carburetor and pulls out this very unique piece, and he points at it, and then he wakes up from the dream. And he goes, what was that? So he gets under the car, and he starts looking around, and he finds a piece that looks exactly like that. And he takes it down to the mechanic, and he says, do you know what this is? He goes, oh, yeah, that's a thingamajig, and whatever they call it. And he goes, looking up online, finds a $60 thingamajig, orders it from the local uh, junkyard, and uh, puts it in himself, turns the key, car works like a charm. Jesus, the mechanic, he will teach you concerning all things. So just invite him into the conversation with whatever you need to know. He, he loves to teach us and, and lead us. And it just this idea is over and over emphasized in the Bible, especially the book of Revelation. You got seven times where this phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. And guys, if we want to be in the center of God's will, and bless the city with the kind of impact and the kind of uh, fruit that God wants to see us step into. We got to be a people who pay attention to what the Spirit is saying. God's voice brings joy. <laughs> I love that. So this is a quote from John the Baptist. They were like, "Hey, who are you? What are you? What are you? What are you doing?" And he and he gets to this point where he says, "The bride belongs to the bridegroom." He gets kind of cryptic on them. 
The friend who attends the bridegroom, speaking of himself, he's like the best man at the wedding. He waits and he listens for him, and he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. He knew his place, that Jesus was the central figure of the wedding that was coming. Have you ever seen that Office uh, episode where Michael, is that his name, the office, the, the boss guy? He goes to a wedding, and he thinks it's all about him, and he's trying to get everyone's attention. He's like, no, it's about the bride, like, and the, and the groom, leave, get out of the way. So, so John recognized that he had to decrease, uh, and Jesus must increase. But he said, my joy is full and complete because I've heard his voice. And a lot of us think of John the Baptist as this grumpy guy that's kind of like pointing fingers and calling out everyone's sin. But he was the most joyful guy in his generation. And when you tap into this experience of God speaking, saying, I know your circumstances, I know your address, I'm telling you, it just causes a quickening and an enlivening. And when you hear his voice, then you can become a voice. That's what John... uh, There's John from The Chosen. Um, He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He was a voice because he heard a voice. And if you want to have an influence and impact, if you just dial down and get comfortable and confident in hearing what God is saying and obey and do whatever he shows you, you will have a far greater impact on your generation than you ever could just trying to do it in your own strength. So there was a time when Moses... uh, he was, uh, 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 hold on, approached, that's the word, by a couple guys that were like, hey, there's these dudes over here, and they're prophesying. Do you want us to, like, shut them down and, like, bring them to you and discipline them? And Moses says in, in Numbers, he goes, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. That was the hard cry of Moses, and I believe it echoed the hard cry of his father of our God, that all God's people would would be prophetic and be able to speak on behalf of God. And that cry gets answered on the day of Pentecost, which is uh, a Jewish festival they celebrate it every year. But uh, God showed up 2,000 years ago after Jesus died and resurrected and ascended. Uh, He he gave them warning. He said, my father's going to give you a gift, so wait in this city until you're endued with power from on high. And, it, and so um, uh, Peter gets up to explain what's happening when the Spirit was poured out on, on the day of Pentecost. And he quotes from another prophet named Joel, who had this prediction of something coming. And he said, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, if they're really super, super spiritual, they, sh- they, they might maybe prophesy. No, it doesn't say that. It says they shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And all my men servants, my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. And so the original context uh, in Joel was it, afterward. And if you read the context, after this prayer and fasting and crying out to the Lord and repenting, um, God promises to pour out his spirit. But Peter interprets it and says, hey, we're in the last days. And so we have this 
sense that we're in the last days for the last 2,000 years. We're in a new era. In the Old Testament, they didn't have access to God like this. Maybe a few special kings and priests and prophets could talk to God and hear from God. But now anyone who's a Christ follower has the spirit in them and they can hear from God and they can have dreams and visions and they can uh, prophesy. But I believe that there's a greater fulfillment of this coming in the last of the last days when there's going to be a fresh move of the spirit. Uh, and, and I just think it's going to be God's mercy strategy to bring this thing to a crescendo and a climax and say, hey, I'm coming soon, and I want as many people to know me as possible. And one of the ways we, we know him is, is through the gift of people who can hear from him and speak on his behalf. In Revelation 19.10, it says, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And I'm not going to unpack that whole statement, but Jesus wants to make himself known to his people, and he's going to empower us to be a prophetic people. Um, it says this in Romans 12, 6. In his grace, God's given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Hold on, let me check my notes, see if I've missed any big stories here. Um, do, do, do. Um, we're somewhere, faith. Yes. So faith, here, here's how I, I know it looks like. It's spelled a certain way on the screen. But I want to I give you a new spelling for faith. Maybe you've heard this before. John Wimber popularized this. But it's faith is spelled R-I-S-K. There is a dimension of faith that requires us to take a risk for it to truly be faith. It's like somebody's, you know, tight roping across uh, the Niagara Falls and everyone's cheering him on. And it's like, awesome, awesome, you're amazing. And he does it so many times. People have faith in th this guy can do that thing. And then he gets a wheelbarrow. He pushes the wheelbarrow. Everyone's like, you're amazing. You did it with a wheelbarrow. And then he's like, okay, now, do you think that I could do it with a person in there? And people are like, you, come in the wheelbarrow. And that, I think, is a picture of what real faith looks like when you entrust your whole self into the hands of the one who's capable. We don't have faith in ourselves. We have faith in our God who is faithful, like you said earlier, Jeremy. And he will do what he has promised. And so he, he, he says things like, if you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives it generously to anyone who asks without finding fault. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. He will grant you wisdom if you ask him. But there's this requirement, there's this condition, says the, the one who is going to receive is going to have to come to me in faith. The one in doubt kind of like, you know, is like a sea, a uh, wave on the sea tossed back and forth. And so we want to come expectant that he's going to show up. Um, and, and, and here's another element. Love is, next slide, is non-negotiable. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are uh, powerful pa chapters about the gifts of the Spirit. And in the middle section is... Uh, Chapter 13, it often gets quoted at, at weddings, and that's great, a great use for, for that definition of love. Love is patient, love is kind, all those things. But um, the context is actually in the midst of using spiritual gifts, because the people in Corinth were abusing the spiritual gifts. They were, uh, they were living really carnally. They were divisive. Uh, there was a lot of immorality and they weren't doing it in love. They were doing it to be like, look at me, I'm puffed up, I'm cool, I got the spirit badge, but you don't. And uh, man, that's just, that grieves the heart of God. So Paul just does this whole chapter about love, 
to say the motive for using this gift to bless somebody has to be love. And so, you know, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and I had such faith that could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Be like a resounding gong. And I love this quote by Sean Boltz. He says, we should highlight love rather than information as the goal of prophetic ministry. Now, if you want a fun rabbit trail down uh, on YouTube, you could like Google Sean Boltz and see this guy. He like calls people out of a crowd Tells them their kids' names, their last name, their business name, their address. <laughs> he tells them very specific information and just does it so humbly and does it with such like an encouraging spirit to call forth their, their destiny and their calling. And, and so like, I'm not at that level of word of knowledge where I'm getting that specific. I mean, I've hit the nail on the head sometimes, but wow. Like, and so for this guy to say, that love is way more important than all of that specific information you could get. Uh, it's about love. And he tells, Sean tells the story one time when he was in a Starbucks. And so we can do this in, in a context like this where we can encourage one another by seeing what we think God might be saying in a safe environment. And that's the best place to start, like in a small group, group of friends saying, hey, let's see if we can hear what God's saying. And we'll just uh, wait, wait on the Lord and then speak out what we're getting. Well, um, Sean likes to do that out in the public because other people are going to be super blessed if we hear a word from them. So he had this sense that there's this guy over there that he was supposed to talk to. And so he walked up to him and he goes, hey, does the name Steve mean anything to you? And the guy looked at him. He's like, no. And he's like, okay, uh, thanks, sorry. And he starts to walk out like just, you know, super embarrassed. And the guy goes, wait a second, what, why did you ask me that? And he was, like, tempted to, like, pretend like he was some other religion or something. But <laughs> he was like, well, so I'm a Christian, and I believe people, you know, God, we can hear from God. And I just like to practice it. And sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I get it right. I just, I just thought I'd take a step of faith here. And um, he goes, no, I don't know anyone named Steve, or that doesn't mean anything to me. But would you be willing to talk? Because I've been wanting to talk to someone who thinks they hear from God for a long time. So they had this 45-minute conversation. Sean's just loving on this guy. Turns out he's like a high-level executive producer in Hollywood. And um, the guy gives his heart to Jesus, all based on a wrong word of knowledge. But he did it in love. And that opened his heart. And so you could say something as simple as Jesus loves you. And if it's the heart of the Father to hear right in that moment, powerful. Um, Paul says in the next chapter, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, the cool thing about gifts is that they're not for you. They're for somebody else. And my son, Sammy, back there uh, brought this home to me one Christmas when he, I could tell he was more excited about other people opening the present that he got them than he was to get his own presents. And, and that's the heart of using the gifts of the Spirit to bless the church is that uh, they're a gift and they're from God. But it's all about love. And then he goes on to say, the one who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. You know, when, when you pray in tongues, you're edifying your spirit man, your inner man, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And so we want to build each other up, and we have too many messages that we speak to ourselves in the mirror, that we hear from our peers, and we just, you know, that we aren't cutting it, that we aren't loved, that we are hypocrites, that we are hopeless, 
And God wants to speak life and encouragement to people, um, and he can do it through you and I if, if we have a willingness to, to step out and partner with God to love people well. Um, it's about calling forth the gold in others, not about finding the dirt. It's so easy to find dirt about someone like, yeah, that person annoys me. I mean, we can all find traits about each other that annoy us, and we know all that stuff really well, right? But it's about going on a treasure hunt with the God who hid the gold in the depths of the earth for us to go discover it. You know, it's what, like this Proverbs 25.1. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. So it's a noble task to look at someone and go, what are the budding virtues in this person? How can I call forth the gold in their destiny, in their identity, in their personality? And, you know, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So when we speak things that cut down, we're, we're just helping create an atmosphere that's not life-giving. But if we speak words of life... Now, I'm not saying that there's never a time for a firm reprimand and a rebuke. That there's a place for that. I don't think doing this prophetic thing where you're asking the Holy Spirit for something, it's, it's probably going to be the time and place where you just call out a sin and expose them, especially in corporate setting or anything like that. I think there's a time and a place for that. And, you know, God does speak through prophets, you know, like Nathan to David. But that was a one-on-one experience. David really deserved it in that moment. But, um, yeah, so, like, when Gideon, we did Gideon a few weeks ago, Gideon is like hiding in a wine press. He's cowering from the enemy. He's freaked out. And this angel of the Lord shows up and says, mighty men of valor, come forth. And Gideon's like looking around like, you talking to me? Like I am from the worst tribe, the least of my family. I'm a dork. Like you got the wrong guy. And he's like, no, come forth. Mighty man of valor. It's like when Jesus looks at Peter, he goes, you are the rock and I will build my church on this. And the next minute, he's like a mouthpiece for Satan. He's going to like deny him three times. He's not going to be real rock-like all the time. But that's the thing about a prophetic word. You see something, you see who they're going to be four billion years from now, and you call that forth, and you speak that over them. And so even if it's like the opposite of what is true, right, now in their experience, you call them higher to their true selves. And, um, and that's, the, I just wanted to communicate the heart of, of prophetic words like that. Okay, you guys doing okay? I know it's hot up here. I got a long thing. We're almost done. Um, it's only 12-12. That's a glorious time. So we got uh, just a little bit more to wrap up, and I'll tell you some more fun stories. But God's voice is often more subtle than we think. Okay, now the clearest way we hear, and I'm going to say this over and over, is the scriptures. And anything you hear that denies or doesn't agree or align with the scriptures, you throw it out, Okay. We got to be a people of the word. But God, when he speaks to us in our day-to-day living, it's often we miss it. We think he is not speaking because we're not paying attention. And it's way more subtle than we think. And I know there's a lot of people who have abused this and that have got it wrong and with the wrong spirit. And and so people like want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because of a few negative experiences. Like that guy that comes up to you and says, hey, baby, the Lord told me we're supposed to get married. Single women, if a guy says that to you, I would just run, okay? Like, that's scary. It's spiritual manipulation. Like, um, I mean, 
If guys, if you have three dreams from the Lord and an angel tells you you're going to marry that girl, here's my advice to you. Just hold on to that information and, and then like pursue a relationship, ask her on a date, enjoy, you know, spend some time, you know, seeing, and then propose to her. And if she says yes, after you get that ring on her finger, go, hey, guess what? The Lord told me this was all going to happen. I'm so encouraged by this turn of events. But if she thinks that you're only like pursuing her because God told you and you have to like robotically obey, but you don't find her attractive, you don't enjoy her company, like she's not really your choice, it's just God's choice, that's not the most romantic thing. And it's, you know, so I'm just saying, like, let's, let's have, you know, but uh, so yes, there's abuses of this kind of thing out there. And, you know, during the last year, I've tracked with some different prophetic voices that sometimes seem like maybe they got it wrong. And it can be discouraging, and, but I encourage you, this thing is real. Don't let a few mistakes or a few people who don't quite get it right uh, cause you to dismiss one of these most powerful things that God wants us to know about a relationship with him. You know, we have a relationship. It's eternal life is relationship with Jesus and the Father. And if I had a relationship with my wife and I never talked to her and I never listened to her, yeesh, I don't think we'd last as long as we have. We got to have a communication thing going on. So... Elijah had some dramatic experiences called fire down from heaven, saw God, do, you know, shut the sky for three and a half years and then bring rain when he said it was going to happen. So he was used to the dramatic, but one time he's fleeing from Jezebel, he's freaking out, he's depressed, and uh, he's just like, what, nothing is making an impact on this nation like I had hoped. And God encounters him, he brings this strong wind, and there's like crumbling rocks, but it says the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then there's an earthquake, Mufasa, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And uh, after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire came a still, small voice, and God was in this subtle whisper that Elijah needed to dial down and be able to hear. And so I just want to encourage you, I mean, nine times out of ten, when I'm actually stepping out to say, hey, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm, whether I tell them or I'm just kind of doing this thing with the Lord, I'm going to speak a word from God, like not my own word, I'm just going to get like a, a picture or a, a word, it, it often feels like I'm making it up. Uh, Rick is over here. Um, I met with Rick and Kay uh, for dinner one time, and I, I did that. I was going to pray for them, and I, I asked the Lord for a picture, and uh, I saw this like stealth bomber. Like, what do I do with this stealth bomber? I mean, there's no scripture you can go to for stealth bomber, right? So I, um, I go on, to, on this elaborate metaphor. I'm like, I just feel like you're like a stealth bomber for the Lord. You get in under radar, you behind enemy territory, and you're just dropping bombs on the devil's agenda and destroying the works of the devil. There we go. First John 3a, that's a scripture. And uh, so he comes to tell me that you know, right after I give him that word, he's like, actually, I was, a, I was an airplane engineer if I got that wrong, forgive me. <laughs> but I, he worked on whatever you did. But then he opens up his shirt, and he has a shirt of a B-52 stealth bomber. And I'm like, wow, that was from the Lord. You know, and it was super subtle. It's this little etch-a-sketch picture in my mind's eye. But I stepped out in faith, and I gave it, and I encouraged them. And we're friends to this day, because they think maybe I hear from God or something. No, they just like me too. But... Uh, so the anatomy of a prophetic word, there's revelation, what God shows you, and that might come through, you know, a picture in your mind's eye, might come through a dream, might come through a trance, an angel, might come through just an impression, might come through a whatever, a word, a phrase that comes to your head, a song that you begin to sing that you remember. Um, why am I singing this song? 
Why is that person's face coming to my mind right now? You get this revelation, and then there's the interpretation, and that's where we often get it wrong. So we got to keep the Holy Spirit dialogue going through the interpretation because you might see musical notes and you say a thing about you're called to be a musician and actually that's not what they're called to, but that means something else to them. So you really want to ask the Lord, what are you saying? And then there's the application. So God's showing you something. Are you supposed to say this? Are you supposed to do anything with this? And I just want to say that we want to have a little bit of humility, a lot of humility with this. Just stay away from thus saith the Lord. I mean, that one guy said, I believe this is what God says, and he goes into first person. That's pretty bold. But he had developed this gift for 40 years, and he was confident. But we want to just come in. You might say, hey, does this mean anything to you? Or ask a question. Or, you know, um, hey, I want, I want to speak this over you. Um, and, and so, But God might just have a prayer assignment for you, and you're just supposed to pray over this thing. So talk to the Lord about what you're supposed to do with that. But you never know. It's so funny. One time we were doing this exercise in Kansas City about releasing people to do this for the first time, and there was, um, there was a guy, there's a group of people that volunteered to try this out, and this one guy starts speaking over this lady in the front row, and he says, you know, I just see the Indy 500, and I see like, and he goes off on this spiritual metaphor of the Indy 500 and how there's pit stops, and she's super, you know, dynamic and full power and all this stuff, and we're all like, oh, that's a great unpacking of that metaphor, and then the next girl gets up and says, I got something for the same woman, but all I heard was happy frog. <laughs> we were like, really? That's all you got? Like, how does that edify comfort and strengthen? And, but she was, had nothing more to say. She wasn't going to add to it, any hamburger helper. So she sits down, and it turns out this woman goes every year to the Indy 500. So it wasn't just a metaphor. It was, and then after they go, they go to this restaurant called the Happy Frog. And she just saw a smiling frog in her mind's eye and said, happy frog. <laughs> and, and so I don't know what that means other than God was saying, I see you. I know your address. I know your family traditions. And I'm with you. And just that knowledge that God is with you is so powerful. So here's some of the different ways God speaks. Most powerful way is through scripture. So if you want to be a prophetic person that hears from God, I exhort you and plead with you, become a person familiar with the Bible. And um, because, you know, sometimes I'll see like a, a picture in my mind's eye that's a waterfall. And I go, where's their water? Oh, Psalm 42. And because I know Psalm 42, God can use that image that he gives me, you know. But there's, you could just quote the scripture. I mean, at the end of the day, when the end times are really happening, like, the church that's reading the Bible and believes the book of Revelation are going to go, okay, I could tell you the next 20 events after this first event, because there's 21 things, seals, trumpets, bowls, I could just tell you one by one how it's going to happen, and people are going to go, you're a clairvoyant, you're Nostradamus, and you're like, no, I just read the Bible, and it's happening, but anyway, um, scripture, scripture, scripture is powerful, I mean, it, just in general, imbibe it, but sometimes it's got some zip on it, you know, like one morning I was working at a coffee shop. I ran out of time to have a devotional, so I had time for one chapter in Proverbs. I read this verse that said um, <laughs> uh, that uh, food gained by deceit tastes sweet at first, but in the end becomes a, gravel, a mouthful of gravel. And I, I remembered the night before where I had uh, gotten a sandwich, but I forgot to log it in the staff's meal book. And so I had this wicked thought, ah, is it really a big deal? And then I read that verse and I was like, it's a big deal. Okay. Thank you for the Bible. 
Creation, God speaks. Psalm 19, Romans 1, people are without excuse because God's handiwork is all over nature, and I won't belabor that. Circumstances. So when, when Peter gets up and the Holy Spirit just breaks out over a bunch of Gentiles, you know, the church leaders go, hey, maybe God's doing something with the Gentiles. Uh, when Haggai exhorts the people, he's like, hey, have you noticed that you keep planting but reaping nothing? You got a purse with holes in it. Like, you're doing all these things because you've neglected my house and you've built your own house. So sometimes if you're going through difficulties, it might be God saying, hey, um, not every time. Some of it's just living on a fallen planet. But sometimes God's trying to awaken us to his discipline or what he wants us to focus on. Wise counsel. So it, it, get somebody who's walked with the Lord farther than you, longer than you. Pick their brain. Um, Proverbs says that a fool does it all on their own, but um, somebody wise listens to the counsel of others. I kind of paraphrase that. But um, there's lots of verses like that. And so you may have people that you want to bounce ideas and, and things off of. Dreams and visions. It happened over and over in the scripture. The Bible's full of that. Joseph, you know, uh, both the Old Testament guy and the, the substitute father of Jesus guy. Um, God leads his people through these kinds of ways. I've never had an angel, and I don't actually think they typically have wings because Hebrews 13.2 says, entertain people with hospitality. You, you never know. You might be entertaining an angel not knowing it. So you would probably notice if they had wings. So that's just what I'm just saying. But um, some people have heard the audible voice. I've never had an audible voice. Uh, the founder of the prayer center, he claims that he heard God say, help me build a house of prayer for all nations, but first for the first nations. And the house shook. And then the wife comes up and says, did we just have an earthquake? I felt the house shake. She didn't hear the voice. She felt the house shake. So God can speak in that way when he wants to drive home a point. He also, when you're at a crossroads trying to make a decision in your life, he will often speak to you through your passions, not the ungodly ones, but the ones that don't contradict God's word, but the persistent passion, like you've wanted to be an architect your whole life, and, and uh, you know, this desire won't go away. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will grant you the desires of your heart. So if you have a long, persisting passion, that might be God trying to tell you something. But one of the most common ways we learn is through impressions that come in the form of words, thoughts, phrases, scriptures, numbers, memories, mental pictures, sympathetic pains. I had this experience. Uh, some of you might know her, Amy, um, what is her name? Amy Anderson, but what's, what's her name? Uh, Engels. So she came, got involved in the prayer center when I was involved there. And she had just come back from her DTS, and uh, we, I, we, after the prayer set, we went out to Applebee's, and I was like, Amy, tell us your story. So she's unpacking her life story, her testimony, coming to Jesus, and the whole time, my left calf is like burning on fire, and I'm like, I look down, there's no heater under there. I'm like, what is going on with my leg? This is weird. And I have no leg issues, so I had this thought popped in my head at the end of her story. I said, Amy, random question, is there something wrong with your left calf? Her eyes got big. She goes, yeah, I, sp I tore it like a week ago, and I love to dance. I love to run. I can't do those things. And everybody around the table was just like, oh, my goodness, God's going to heal your calf. And so we prayed for her, and she got healed that night. She was running and dancing the next day. And I don't share that story. Be like, look at me, because I'm the awesome hero of the story. I'm just like, 
weird. God speaks that way. And I'm a dork, and I paid attention to this subtle thing that I felt he was impressing on me. And so I could go off, if I had time, on tons of stories of just pictures. I tend to see through pictures. I think it's because I'm an artist. And if we had more time, we would create space for us to really activate this and practice on one another. And here's my homework assignment for you. I've got, I've got two homework, three or four homework assignments. Go. <laughs> when you get in small groups together with people who were encouraged by this talk and these ideas that believe in this kind of thing, hang out and say, let's just see what God's going to say. Let's wait on, each, on the Lord and see if he shows us anything. And you speak it over one another and see if it, if it rings true. I've done this thing where I have a room, close their eyes, put, put their hands out, and I'm going to put a penny in one person's hand. That person's going to hide the penny. They're going to be the recipient of the words of encouragement. Everybody else doesn't know who they're prophesying over. And the point is that is so you're just really dialoguing with the Lord. And I'm telling you, I've seen people in tears. I've had life-changing words through that experience. And so practice. That's uh, my next. Let's go to this slide. Um, some of the ways you can grow in your prophetic gifting is feed yourself on the word of God, cultivate a spirit-filled life, and by that, I'd say pray individually, pray corporately, maybe throw some fasting in there, that can help. Maybe pray in your prayer language if you have one, or ask for one. Um, cultivate a life of love, but practice it regularly, and you will get more confident as you Find your words hitting the mark and hitting the money because um, it is so encouraging to both the hearer and, you know, the receiver. It's like, wow, God knows me. I, I received this word. I'm super encouraged. Or, wow, God used me. I didn't think I could hear from him. I took a step of faith and I spoke this word and it landed and it really meant something to them. So I encourage you to practice, practice, practice. Um, but don't, you know... I realize that this is kind of interesting territory, and Paul recognized it too. He says, don't despise prophecies. Test all things, but hold to what is good. And so, you know, the scriptures say, let something be established by two or three witnesses. I had a thing where uh, a guy I didn't know prophesied over me. He said, I feel like there's this banner over your life of prophetic comics. And I was like, dude, this guy doesn't know me. I had, was my goal in life for... Most of my life was to be a political cartoonist, and then I abandoned that for missions and ministry, and then this guy says this thing, and a year later, he comes back through town, prophesies the same thing, didn't remember saying it a year prior, then all of a sudden, I'm being asked to lead a YWAM trip of artists to go work with an animation studio in Taiwan, and I'm like, what is happening? And I like, felt like God was confirming I was to do that. I had a, a meeting at IHOP, praying about whether to join YWAM, and a guy said, I see two things. You're very prophetic, and I see you drawing. Does that mean anything, prophetic drawing? And I was like, you have no idea. So that was way more than two or three witnesses. I still don't know what prophetic comics is. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to take, you know, freelance gigs and, and just do something with that. But God will confirm, and it's, it's not going to be fresh information. If somebody says something to you, and you're like, that doesn't really resonate, like, put it on the shelf and see if God brings confirmation. You know, I... Uh, I did that. I, I prophesied over this one girl uh, at, right before the service at IHOP. And I saw this sheet coming out of heaven. And I said, okay, it's like Acts 10, the sheet where God told Peter to get up, kill, and eat. My, my life verse, amen. I'm a carnivore. But then um, I, I was like, 
it's about you going to the, you know, out of your comfort zones and speaking to those that aren't, like, familiar to you. And she was like, okay, that's cool, good word, you know. It wasn't like, oh, that rung true. Well, I sat down, and the guest speaker, the whole sermon was on Acts chapter 10 and the sheet from heaven and the vision that he got. It was like, whoa, that must have been the Lord. <laughs> so all that to say is test the things. Don't run with everything. But as you get familiar with the word and you get familiar with what God um, is saying to you repeatedly, you know that he has spoken. And um, so with that, are you guys, is that good? Are you encouraged? I know it's long, it's hot, and it's unfair that we didn't do a little exercise. But so please, 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 the, the assignments are find some people to practice this with, okay? And if you get it wrong, it's okay. Were you trying to love, edify, comfort, strengthen? Then you're okay, you know? Um, Secondly, ask the Lord in your personal devotion times, what's a name of yours that you're trying to reveal to me in this season? There's a, <laughs> quick story. There's a woman that Graham Cook encountered, and he's a real well-known prophetic guy. And she goes, I have been diagnosed with four months left to live. Where's God in this? He goes, I don't know, but ask the Lord what he's trying to reveal to you through his name. Like, what name are you supposed to cling to in this season? 11 days asking God, no answer. The 12th day, uh, she's in the grocery store, and this woman walks up to her and says, oh my goodness, I can't believe it's you. I mean, I, I know it's been 10 years, but my daughter had a dream, and she said it was about you, and you were in her dream, and, and in the dream, uh, Jesus like uh, shows up and gives you an, uh, an, gave her a note, and she woke up, and she had a note in her hand. Now, that is a faith-stretching story, but apparently the note said, my name is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. So you ask the Lord what he wants to reveal to you about his aspect, his character, his nature, through his names. Third assignment, ask the Lord three things he really likes about you. I dare you to take me up on that challenge and see what he says. And finally, just go love Jesus, okay? All right, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to be done. Jesus, I praise you and thank you that you're still speaking and leading and guiding, and you're a good shepherd. And I pray for those in life-challenging situations where decisions need to be made. I pray that you grant wisdom and bring revelation and confirmation of the path that you have for them. And for those that want to say yes to see if they can start being used to encourage one another, not just with affirmation, I love affirmation, what we, what we see and know, but what your spirit wants to highlight and I know we're tempted to disqualify ourselves, but we are your sheep and we hear your voice. So, God, we ask you to be speaking this week, and we're looking forward to testimonies of how you spoke and brought life to our hearts and spirits. In Jesus' name, amen.